Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, May the 8th in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And what we do on Mondays is we take a look at readings that are assigned for the following Sunday. And that is the sixth Sunday of Easter, May the 14th. And the readings are from Acts chapter 17, because during the Easter season, the Old Testament lesson is replaced with readings from the book of Acts. The epistle is from 1 Peter chapter 3. And the gospel is from John chapter 14. Well, what we're going to do is take a look at Acts chapter 17, beginning with verse 16. Because I find there a verse that I feel is really misunderstood by even many pastors. It begins verse 16. And before I begin, if you want to reply to what I am saying, my new email address is tombaker at brick.net. B-R-I-C-K dot N-E-T, Tom Baker at brick.net. And the first reading begins. While Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So this is one of the missionary journeys of Paul where he was talking to people who are members of the church, but he became provoked when he recognized that the city was full of idols. So verse 17 says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day, every day with those who happened to be there. Now, what does it mean that he reasoned in the synagogue? I I can't believe how many people think that 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 is using human reason to try and convince people that Christianity is a valid religion. In fact, there are those who will say, we do not want to just believe faith because we believe in faith. We want to give reasons why we believe in this faith. This is called the task of apologetics. The word apologetics is actually a Greek word meaning a defense. And there's actually six kinds of apologetics. We're going to deal with two of them right now. The one is called evidential apologetics. And the other one is presuppositional apologetics. Now, evidential apologetics is using human reason to show that the Bible is really the proper religion. For example, I read articles where they will talk about how the Bible is such a long-standing book that it says things way back when it was written in the same way 
that it says things today. And when I read that, I wonder, are, are these people recognizing really what they are saying? For example, you may not be aware of this, but when did the first Greek Bible get published? Well, you would say, well, probably in the second century or the third century. No, it took Erasmus in the 16th century to publish the first Greek Bible. In, in other words, up to that time, they only had manuscripts. And there were hundreds and hundreds of manuscripts. To give the argument that Christianity must be true because, well, the manuscripts don't make any changes, all you have to do is pick up any Hebrew Old Testament or Greek New Testament, and at the bottom of each page, you will see what is called a critical apparatus. What is that? That is where there are other manuscripts that give different words. Now, rarely do these changes make a difference in what you believe theologically. But there are some that they would make a change. If, if you had a manuscript that says, for God so loved the world that he got people to save themselves by their works, that would be a change in a manuscript, which would definitely be a change in theology. But you can find books written on which readings should we follow? Should we follow readings that appear to be simpler to understand or more difficult? Uh, for example, there is a change in the manuscript when Jesus is talking about the end times. And he says something along the lines that no one knows the end times except the Father. And then some manuscripts have not even the sun. So the sun doesn't know when the end time is coming? Well, obviously, how did that change? How did that manuscript make a change? Leaving out and not even the sun knows. Because we believe, confess, and teach that the sun, Jesus Christ, is also God. So how is it that he didn't know something? And so a copyist, when they see that verse, they will take out not even the sun because they don't want to give the impression that the sun is also ignorant of the future. But that means that they're going to a simpler understanding of that text from their point of view. But scholars have discovered that a lot of times in these changes, you keep the harder text. Now, you can't explain how the son doesn't know. Because Jesus, when he became flesh, was a human being and is a human being. And prior to his ascension into heaven, 
his humanity was not all powerful. His humanity was not all present. His humanity was not all knowing. There were times that even Jesus is surprised, like when he goes to the town of Nazareth and they want to throw him off a cliff. That's a surprise to him. But when he is risen from the dead, ascends into heaven, now his humanity also receives the qualities of his divinity. In his humanity, he knows all things. In his humanity, he is everywhere. In his humanity, he is strong. So that's how one can explain how the harder reading is correct there. But it certainly doesn't go along with the idea that Christianity is the right religion because there's hardly any changes in the text. There's hundreds of changes throughout the manuscripts. And good scholars always try to make a decision. That's why you have a lot of different translations also. In fact, what happens in some translations is the person doing the translation makes a translation, and then they try and fit the Hebrew or the Greek into that translation rather than doing the opposite. First, you look at the original languages of the Bible, and you find out what the word means in that particular context. The same word can mean something different in one context than in a, another context. That, that's why seminarians go to a seminary for four years, as well as a vicarage year, and also are encouraged to take graduate courses. You never stop learning what the text is saying. And that brings me to the point I want to make is that there's two ways of looking at the Bible. You can say, I know the Bible. And what you mean by that, you can have a lot of it memorized, but you are ignorant of the theology of the Bible. See, the word theology comes from two Greek words, theos, God, and logos, word. So theology of the Bible are words from God as to how to interpret the readings in the Bible. How can you not doubt that? Or how can you not believe it? We recently had the wonderful situation of Jesus meeting two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Did they know the Bible? Sure. They knew passages in the Bible. They knew about the creation of Adam and Eve and a promise to God about a Messiah. Uh, they knew that the Messiah was going to be pierced in hands and feet, that he was going to be whipped. And yet when Jesus died on the cross, and then they heard from women that he had risen from the dead, 
They did not understand that. So how did Jesus convince them of the proper understanding of the Bible? He quoted Old Testament Bible verses that were prophecies concerning the Messiah. And they all came true in the New Testament. In fact, we've done a little booklet on that. If you're at all interested, yeah, email me at tombaker at brick.net and I'll give you information how to obtain that book of over 200 prophecies in the Old Testament, which then are revealed and fulfilled in the New Testament. It's a pretty simple book. Took me a year and a half in a Bible study to do it. On the left side of the page is the Old Testament prophecy, and on the right side is the New Testament fulfillment. Excellent Bible study. So, Jesus, when he was talking to the two disciples, can we say he was reasoning with them? Remember, I said there's different forms of apologetics. The one is evidential, where you give evidence that Christianity is the true religion. I've even heard people say, well, we know that Christianity is the true religion, that Jesus rose from the dead, because 500 people saw him after the resurrection. That's not evidence from outside the Bible. That's Bible verses that say that. And the more I read of the so-called evidence outside the Bible, the more I'm convinced that you cannot prove Christianity through evidential apologetics. Uh, the one that I'm more familiar with is called presuppositional apologetics. Now, I know that's a big word, but what does that mean? It means that you show an individual, you give them the reason for believing in Jesus Christ on the basis of quoting the Bible, not quoting stuff outside the Bible. Because 1 Corinthians makes very clear, until a person has the Holy Spirit, he or she cannot understand what the Bible is saying. This is why Christians go to worship services and Bible studies. Because at each sermon, each Bible study, they should be hearing something they've never heard before, even though they may have read the Bible passage. Remember, there were scribes at the time of Jesus who had memorized the Old Testament. They knew what the middle letter was, let alone the middle verse. And yet they crucified Jesus. They did not know what the Old Testament, its theology, was talking about. So how does Paul reason with others in the marketplace in Athens? Well, he says 
Verse 18 of chapter 17 of Acts. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. Now that helps us understand what it means that he reasoned in the synagogue. If you look up that word reason, it's not talking about giving evidence that's not found in the Bible. It's talking about conversing, having a conversation with people with what you know and trying to convince them of the truth of God's word. Now, some of those philosophers, they say, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him to the Areopagus, the marketplace, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So they were interested because they realized that Paul was saying something new. Now, you, you can read the rest of chapter 17. And not once does Paul give them any evidence outside the scriptures for what he is saying is true. He first of all begins, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Now in Athens, the philosophers had created gods out of metal, out of wood, and they worshiped them. And they had a god of the water, a god of the agriculture, a, a god of the sea, a, a god of the mountains. But then they also had to the unknown god. And that was the god that they were unaware of. And what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Now, what's Paul doing? He's going to use scripture to proclaim to them about the God that is unknown to them. And he begins with Genesis. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, which the Athenians had, nor is he served by human hands, that's how they would worship him, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Now notice, Paul doesn't give any evidence for what he is saying. He just says what the Bible has to say. 
He doesn't use anything outside the Bible. He's actually quoting the Bible. In fact, in our first article of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Martin Luther has a wonderful statement there that God has made all things. There's nothing that was not made by God and that he is the sustainer of all things. Then verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind. Now, where's the evidence of that? That from Adam also came not only Chinese, Japanese, uh, Indians, uh, white people. They all came from Adam. Do we have any evidence of that? Now, evolution would like you to think that maybe there were different monkeys that came about, and that's how, but, but that's no evidence at all. Notice really clearly that Paul is doing the same thing to convince these unbelievers about Jesus in the same way that Jesus used the passages of the Old Testament to convince the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He didn't reason with them in the sense of human reason. Try and describe what is the Trinity by using human reason. I've heard a lot of things. It's like an apple, somebody said. You have the peel of the apple, you have the fruit of the apple, and then you have the core of the apple. Three different things, but they're all the same apple. Well, the problem is that the peel doesn't do the same thing as does the meat of the apple or the core of the apple. Whereas in the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equal in their qualities. So the reason you believe in the Trinity, if you are a Christian, is because the Holy Spirit has given you faith, trust to believe the words of Scripture. All you have to do is hear them. This is why I love giving Bible studies. Somebody will say, well, infants can't believe, so we shouldn't baptize them. So I, I just turned to the Pentecost sermon by Peter, where he says that the promise is to you and to your children to receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit when you are baptized. You can't believe how many people change their minds because they now have a Bible verse. And you can expand on that by pointing them to Romans chapter 6. Well, Paul continues, And God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. This is what God does. Is there any evidence of that? No, the only evidence we have that God does that is when we take a look, when God chooses prophets or apostles or, or even remember Abraham. 
took him out of the land that he was in, took him to the land of Canaan, and through his son Isaac was going to be a wonderful, joyful, happy, and comforting result to many, many, many nations. That's all in the Bible. And he did this, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For, and now he quotes the Bible. In him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So what Paul is doing, he is showing people that what is in the Bible is often in their minds also. Born as human beings, they recognize they are sinners. They're looking for hope and salvation. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in relationship in righteousness by a man whom he has an appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You take a look at Acts 17. Paul offers no evidence from outside the scripture. He instead uses the scripture. He is presuppositional. He is not evidential. And so be careful when you're reading someone who says they're an apologist. If they're using things outside the scripture, they are not following the example of Jesus or the apostle Paul or any of the other prophets and apostles. That's why you can go home, pick up your scriptures, read them, and learn things that you never knew before by a careful reading of the scripture, by attending worship, by listening to Bible studies, and by reading books of good authors who explain the true meaning of Scripture. That's Acts 17, verses 16 to 31, which is the first reading for this coming Sunday, which is the sixth Sunday of Easter. So we encourage you to go to church and listen to the sermon carefully. What are you going to hear that you never knew before? What are you going to hear that will be a comfort to you? Not because you have evidence, but because it's the word of the Bible. That's God's word for you. So, you want to get a hold of me and talk to me about any of this? Tom Baker, 
at brick.net. And on tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we'll be doing the hymn, Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice. And when we look at that hymn, you will see that we're rejoicing over what Bible verses say, not about evidence from outside the Bible. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.